Welcome to Harvest Talk, the podcast of Harvest Community Church in Goshen, Indiana. Harvest is a community church with a vision to change the world, and we do that by reaching people and building their lives. And for more information on Harvest Community Church, please check out our website, hccgoshen.org. And as always, I'm Pastor Jeremy, and it's an honor to be spending a little bit of time with you this Christmas season. And yes, we are in December. It's kind of hard to believe. Um, you know, we launched this podcast almost a year ago, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm back from a couple-week break, so we will be doing a, releasing a podcast this week and next week. And then we're going to take a few weeks off going into the new year. I'm not. We will resume it in January. I'm not quite sure when that will be. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we got, a, you know, I'm taking a couple of weeks off and then there's some things going on at the beginning of the year that might prohibit me from jumping right back in the very first week. But sometime in January, we will uh, resume it and go forward uh, from there. And so, but now that we are in uh, the, the December and moving towards uh, our Christmas celebrations, uh, just a couple of things I want to share with you. And, uh, and then today we're just going to be talking some Christmas related stuff this week and and next week. But before I do that, just a couple of things I want to update you about Harvest. Uh, first of all, if you haven't been around uh, recently, I'm really excited to announce that uh, a couple of weeks ago, we surpassed the halfway point of our Beyond campaign. For those of you that are unfamiliar with this, about 13, 14 months ago, we launched a three-year um, $850,000 capital campaign as a church to do a variety of projects to help us reach our city, reach the next generation, and advance global missions. And uh, we just felt like that was something God called us to do. Launched all <clears throat> in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a, uh, an election season, middle of economic uncertainty. And it was really unique, or not unique, but it was really wonderful to see how God just pulled our church together to focus in on the kingdom and move towards the kingdom. And it actually provided a, a Holy Spirit distraction from so much of the troubles in our world. And so we uh, asked God for an upfront miracle offering, $150,000. Our people gave $244,000 in that time, and we've been keep keeping going since. And, uh, you know, so total campaign is about 160 weeks long. And around week 55, we passed the 425 mark. Uh, we've raised a little bit more than 435 right now. And it's been amazing to watch uh, the variety of projects that we've been able to do. Um, things with planting churches overseas, caring for orphanage, orphanage, orphans, helping women in domestic abuse locally, helping the, the cause for, the, for life and building strong families, helping our local schools, um, church planting, uh, digging wells in those kinds of places, as well as some remodel projects we have here at the church. And uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, you can check out our Facebook page. We're kind of taking each day this week to celebrate something because of this uh, this this milestone. And so, so yeah, we still have about 105 weeks or so ago, and 425 thousand dollars left still to uh, raise. But uh, just super proud of our congregation and what we're doing there as well uh, as this summer. We're doing a, a Christmas series right now called um, the the blank that stole Christmas, looking at different things that steal our joy. This past weekend, we talked about stuff. Uh, this weekend, we're going to be talking about relationships. Next weekend, the week before Christmas, we'll be talking about apathy, really. And then I want to invite everybody that's in our area <clears throat> to our Christmas Eve services. We're going to have a two uh, Christmas Eve candlelight services, one at five, one at seven. It's going to be a traditional um, readings and, and Advent wreath. We're going to have communion together as a congregation. And uh, just it's just a wonderful time to cap off 
um, <clears throat> cap off the, uh, the, the celebration before you celebrate with your family on Christmas morning. And then last of all, uh, because Christmas Eve is on a Friday and Christmas is on a Saturday, this year on, on Sunday, December 26th, we will not be meeting in person. Um, uh, Patrick and I are working on a, um, a, a, a virtual service that will be uh, released. It'll be uh, some announcements and a message um, probably about 35, 40 minutes total length, and that'll go up on our, our social media pages, our website, as well as we'll be emailing the link to our congregation. You can find it on YouTube as well. And then January 2nd, the day after January 1st, uh, with the new year and the travel and everything that'll be happening, <clears throat> we will have one service at 10 a.m. on January 2nd. And so that's kind of what's coming our way as a church congregation uh, this uh, the next uh, few weeks. So sip of the ever important coffee. Um, today, what I want to do in our podcast is just kind of go through, I'm titling this one Christmas questions. And uh, these are just questions that I get with some degree of regularity every Christmas. And they kind of have a, a variety of, of um, <clears throat> ranges to them. Um, and so I'm just going to go through, I think I've got four questions that I get asked fairly regularly. And I'm just going to kind of talk and give my perspective, my answers uh, to these questions, what I, I tell people fairly uh, when they ask me. One, one of the questions I actually get uh, fairly regularly is, uh, why do we celebrate Christmas? You know, it's not something that, is, I mean, while the birth account of Jesus is in two of the four Gospels, there's nothing in Scripture that says we should celebrate, uh, <clears throat> should celebrate uh, Christmas. And actually, here in Harvest, actually for a very long time when our church was first founded, they didn't celebrate Christmas. They didn't celebrate Easter. They didn't celebrate things that weren't listed in the Bible. And, and that might kind of come as a as a little surprise for a lot of people out there. But kind of let me give you a little bit of context. And, and this leads me to a very important uh, thing to consider when these questions are raised. Basically, the context was this is Harvest was founded out of out of a revival movement called the Jesus Movement. And what happens in every every revival movement in the history of the world is is usually there's if it's not like a brand new revival like the gospel has never been to this place before usually what's going on in revival is there's something about the established form of worshiping jesus that has kind of gotten dry or stale and then what happens is god breathes his life through the power of the holy spirit into some emphasis that he wants to balance out that dryness and staleness and then usually what happens is the established way of doing things has a hard time with what is new. Uh, <clears throat> you saw this in the Reformation with how Catholic Church and, and the Reformers interacted. In, in the Jesus movement, it was the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit that came. Much of what you read about in Acts was going on. And so established denominational churches were very skeptical at best, very highly rejected it at most. And so then what happens is those people that are a part of the revival movement, they've been ostracized by the establishment. And so there's this move towards starting everything all over again. And usually what happens is you read your Bible, and if the Bible says it, you do it. And if it's not in the Bible, you don't do it. If it is in the Bible, you do it. Okay, This happened with the Reformation. It's happened countless times in, in history. And so here at Harvest, what would happen is they would read their Bibles. They believed it was true. And lo and behold, there's nothing in the Bible about Christmas and Easter. So we don't celebrate it. <clears throat> and for years, that's how it was. I mean, in fact, for a while, 
uh, you know, women here wore head coverings. Now, we are in an Amish Mennonite community that's a little bit more accepted in the greater culture here, so it wasn't as big of a difference um, as in other places, but there's a passage where it talks about women having their head covered in, um, in worship, and so they just took it to mean what it means. And so, so that's kind of how it gets. And so I still get questions from that because that's part of our history. Now, here's the, here's the important thing that, that I wanted to touch on. And, and this is the difference when you study Scripture and you get questions like this. What does the Scripture prescribe versus what does, does the Scripture describe? Okay, in other words, there are, the, there are large chunks of Scripture that are simply describing what took place. You know, um, you know, David committed adultery in the Old Testament, and yet the Bible clearly says adultery is sin. So just because the Bible describes David's adultery does not mean the Bible is endorsing it. It's simply describing what's happened. Versus when the, 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 the Bible says, don't take your neighbor's wife, that's a command. And so oftentimes what happens is, is you get these places where it's like, there's nothing here or there is something here. How do we handle it? And so when it comes to celebrations like Christmas and Easter, what happened is at some point in time, and there's a variety of, there's some controversy about all this, but what happened was, is there were people that were used to celebrating certain things at certain times of the year and it got incorporated with with Christian meaning. And whether or not it started with Christian meaning and incorporated other stuff or started with other stuff and incorporated Christian meaning, honestly, is, is, is honestly debatable. But we have now a couple of holidays that are not described in, or prescribed in the Bible. And so what do you do then? Well, in those cases, for me, just the baseline is if the Bible doesn't prohibit it, we don't necessarily have to automatically assume that we we have to we we have to reject it, and and there's a little bit of liberty on what to do. And so, actually, Paul writes about this. is interesting. He actually talks about celebration of days. Normally, when we talk about this passage in Romans 14, we think about food and the Jewish requirements for food. But Paul actually also talks about religious holidays because the Jews of the day had certain religious holidays they held very sacred, and the Gentiles had different holidays, and so there's controversy about which holidays to celebrate. And so Paul writes to the church in Rome who had this controversy, he says, listen, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, He will he, uh, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, he's like, why are we judging each other? It's up to that person and God on these on these issues. He says then in verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor to the Lord. In other words, again, this was in a Jewish context, so they would observe certain days and esteem those days higher. And so if you didn't celebrate the Jewish holidays, then you thought all days are equal well, the Jewish person shouldn't look down on the Gentile for not esteeming the day that they worshipped on, and the Gentile should not look down on the on the Jew for not for for worshiping on a certain day. But he says each one should be convinced. In other words, they should be fully comfortable with how they are worshiping. And so Paul basically is saying here, on areas that there's not clarity of prescription in the Bible, give a little grace. Give a little grace. And, and so that's, that's honestly how I, where I start with considering things like 
Christmas and Easter? It's like, no, it's not in the Bible. I have thought about this question. I've had to answer this question. But it is it is something that we use to worship God, celebrate the incarnation at Christmas time, celebrate the resurrection, death and resurrection at Easter time. In all honesty, those two things together are the most significant theological and meaningful event ever in human history. Why not? And so and so I do understand there are people that don't, and I get that, and that's totally fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge them. That's if they're convinced, they should be uh, they're allowed to do that. And so that's how I approach it. Now, let me tell you why I celebrate Christmas. The first reason I celebrate Christmas is because it does, it brings a yearly reminder. And, and this, some of this applies to Easter as well. It's a yearly reminder on our calendar of the power of the incarnation of Jesus. Like at that moment where God became flesh. That's such a, that is one of the most important moments in the history of the world. And we have a mark on our calendar to celebrate every year. Same with the resurrection and crucifixion there's a mark on our calendar every year that we can we can celebrate and that's actually part of our culture like it's part of western culture to celebrate christmas to celebrate easter it's there on the calendar and here's the the fabulous thing about it is that our culture gives us an acceptable excuse to talk about jesus and at christmas time it gives us an excuse to talk about jesus for an entire month entire month in fact, recent pollsters have discovered that more people are open to Jesus around Christmas time than any other time, any other time of the year. And part of that is because you get an entire month versus Easter's one day. So more people are, are people are as likely to come to an Easter celebration at church on Sunday morning as they are a, a Christmas Eve service. But they're more likely to come to church throughout the month of December than any other time. And so why do I celebrate it? Well, there's a, an important theological reminder that I can teach my kids and teach my congregation about every year about, about Jesus, become, about God becoming flesh. Uh, it's part of the culture. And then number three, it's, it's an acceptable excuse to boldly, easily, uh, unabashedly, clearly, constantly put forth the message of the gospel in multiple ways for an entire month when people are listening. And so because of that, that's why I celebrate Easter. I mean, Easter and Christmas. Not why I celebrate Christmas. All right. Question number two: How do you go about paying for Christmas? Um, you know, I get this. We get this every once in a while. You know, just the finances of Christmas and that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll I'll be honest with you. Grow, uh, early on in in our in my marriage and and as a as a dad, I did not do this well. You know, my method of paying for it was uh, throw it on the credit card and hope for the best. Come January. And, uh, and, and that's terrible. And, and you end up, and, and I did it from time to time, you end up with way more debt than you want to carry. And so don't do that. Don't do that. Like, here's the thing. You need to think about Christmas like you think about other things, other major expenses. And, and part of that is planning for it. Okay. And so it just, it kind of fell into our lap when we moved here. We were switching banks and the bank we chose, one of their, uh, benefits is you can create a Christmas account. It's a slightly higher interest rate and you can only pull money out of that account at uh, in November and, and they do it automatically for you. Otherwise, there's a huge penalty, blah, blah, blah. And so basically what we did is we set aside a certain amount of money that come, I get paid weekly, comes out of my paycheck weekly, goes into this Christmas account and every November, boom, the money for Christmas 
is there. And the beautiful thing about it, the way I, I kind of, the easiest way for me to handle money is to not know it's there. And so if, if when that money, since that money never hits my regular checking account, I don't ever treat it like I have it. And it isn't until it dumps in November when I know it's going to happen that I recognize it's there. We put it into the, to the places we want to pay for Christmas. And, and that amount of money every year pretty much serves <clears throat> as our Christmas, uh, Christmas giving. And listen, that there's enough money in it to, you know, we have five kids. It takes care of their, their Christmas gifts. It takes care of the Christmas tree. It takes care of a, uh, a few, some extra giving, like those kinds of things. And uh, pretty much pays for all of Christmas every year. And so that's always my advice to uh, parents looking to pay for Christmas. Listen, plan it. Think about it. Put it. To, put create a simple, simple way of doing it. And uh, and then the other thing that I, I tell parents is this: be upfront with your kids. Um, you know, there there can be this pressure that like if you don't get your kids exactly what you want, you're somehow a bad parent. And and listen, um, I believe I believe in being generous. I believe in 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 lavishing good stuff on your kids. But it's okay to be upfront with them. Um, and, uh, and, and letting them know, Hey, thank you. Um, we'll see what we can do or, or that's, that's out of the budget or that's in the budget. Some of our kids, especially our older ones now, they'll just keep bringing us lists and we'll go, listen, thank you for the list. We've already bought your gift. And, and I just think it's okay to be upfront with your kids and set expectations. That was something my parents did with me. And, uh, you know, I, because they were upfront, I remember never being disappointed on Christmas morning. And, uh, and, and that's because they helped manage my expectations and, and, and by doing that created fond memories, uh, for me growing up. And so just be upfront with your kids. Speaking of being upfront with your kids, the next question I get quite regularly is what about Santa Claus? Okay. And so this is a warning for anybody that might be listening to this in front of their kids. I'm about to discuss Santa Claus. So you can uh, hit the pause button. That's the great thing about this not being live radio. You can hit the pause button now if you want to listen to this in a more private setting. But um, otherwise, here we go. What do we do about Santa Claus? Well, there has been times in the past where Santa Claus has been very looked down upon in uh, in Christian circles. <clears throat> um, and it's almost like there's competing between Santa Claus and Jesus. And, and in all honesty, when you look at materialism, I understand that. Okay. But here's here's a couple of things about Santa Claus I think is worth considering, okay? You know, my my kids will come ask me this question and they'll go, hey, Dad, is Santa Claus real? And usually I'll answer something down this line, okay? First of all, kids, here's what you need to know. There was a real man named St. Nicholas. And I'll start talking about St. Nicholas. Now, here's the thing, okay? Like, you, you ought to do a little quick Google search on St. Nick, Okay. And because the thing about St. Nicholas was he was quite the guy. Um, he lived in, um, in circa, you know, around between 250 to 340 A.D., kind of in that area. Um, he's from the modern-day uh, Turkey. Uh, he was a leader in the church, and the churches wouldn't have been too far of where the biblical books like Galatians, uh, uh, Colossians, Thessalonians, like he would not have been too far from that general region of the world. 
And uh, the stories about him are actually fairly incredible. In fact, sometime I would love to do a series about St. Nicholas here at Harvest. Um, a couple of things about him that are really phenomenal. He, he, was, he was known for his generosity to the poor and giving gifts. And so that's kind of where some of the, the early legends of a St. Nicholas that, or Santa Claus that gives gifts came from. <clears throat> One of the early legends is that he rescued three girls that were destined for prostitution because what he would do is several days in a row, he would drop off a sack of gold coins to the girls in a, through a secret passageway or something, a window or something like that. And the girls would use that money to pay off their dad, their marriage dowry. And so once they paid that off, they're free to go. And the father wouldn't sell them into prostitution anymore. Um, there's a legend that he was imprisoned before the gospel because he was right in that time period where <clears throat> Christianity had not yet fully become endorsed by the Roman Empire. And so just prior to Constantine, there was a great persecution, I believe, under the Emperor Diocletian. Um, and uh, it, it, rumor has it that uh, St. Nicholas went to, went to prison during that, that persecution. Um, several years later, uh, at the Council of Nicaea, where they were debating um, the teachings of um, the heretic Arius, um, there's a legend that at some point in his life, St. Nick and this heretic Arius got into a fight with each other, and I believe it's St. Nicholas's skull that they think they still have. Still to this day has evidence of a broken nose uh, on it. And um, and while some of this stuff is legend, for example, I'm fairly certain Arius was not at the Council of Nicaea, and there's debate about whether or not St. Nicholas was there. They do speak to the nature of the man. And what we know about St. Nicholas was one that he, he, did, he, was, he did love Jesus and he was willing to stand for it. He was a leader in the church, uh, that he was very generous. He had a very generous personality and that he stood for truth. And so there's a lot about the original St. Nicholas that I think are very helpful and create great teaching moments uh, for my kids. Now, those things developed into legends and they're added to the other legends, which are added to the other legends. And now, you know, he's the... He's a, you know, Santa Claus lives in North Pole and brings um, gifts to good little boys and girls. Listen, here's the second thing about teaching moments. It's a great way to describe the difference between grace of Jesus and what we think of as someone who's good. You know, I mean, think about this. The greatest thing that the Western civilization can conceive of is Santa Claus. And what is Santa Claus's base level of relating to us is legalism. If you're good, you get rewarded. If you're bad, you don't get rewarded. And so it's an opportunity again for my kids to go, listen, this is the real guy. This is the legend. And this is why Jesus is so much better than the legend. Because he loves you for who you are, not because of the stuff you do or don't do. And, and, and your friends and other people out there, the best they can come up with is a guy that gives them stuff when they're good, and yet Jesus gives you stuff Jesus blesses you. Jesus saves you because of his love for you, not because of your actions. It's a great teaching moment. Now, here's the deal. We then, then I'm very upfront with them. We let them know that Santa Claus, as they see it, is a legend. And, and that Santa Claus does not actually exist and does not give gifts and not, on Christmas Eve. Okay, And, and we do that uh, because we just have a hard time getting around the idea that if you tell your kids that that's who Santa Claus is, at some point it get, it blends over into like Jesus. And we want to separate Jesus 
clearly from the Disney princesses or the Marvel movie heroes or, or those kinds of things. And so when we describe Santa Claus, other than the fact that we give them the history, we want them to clearly understand that what they're seeing in Christmas depictions of Santa Claus fits into the Disney princess category, the, the Marvel movie category, the Lego movie categories, fictional, fun aspects, some of which have a lot of culture related to them. But we don't ever want them to get confused that when we look at them and say, listen, Jesus, a man who does really interesting things like walk on water, raising the dead, turning water into wine, doing things that to a little kid appear magical, we want them to understand that this one is true. This one happened. And there never to be any confusion between the truth of Jesus and the legends of other things. And so we don't tell our, our kids that. You might go, well, well, Pastor Jeremy, how do you handle the fact that they have friends who believe in Santa Claus? And you know what? This is how we handle it. We just look at them and go, listen, we want you to know something. There are other kids out there that believe Santa Claus is real. And that's something that that a lot of people like to do this time of year. And so here's if someone ever asks you, is Santa Claus real? We instruct our kids just to simply respond, Santa Claus is a lot of fun. And uh, most of the time that's worked. We've had a couple of very uh, awkward conversations before where that hasn't worked. And uh, and uh, it's always comical, um, one of those comical moments with, with parenting. But that's how we do it because we're not going to, you know, we're not going to cast aspersions on cultural realities. And so that's kind of how we handle it. Um, and, so, and so that's what we do. Um, although I did have this funny thought the other day when you think of Santa Claus, like, that's why I can't write movies. Like, wouldn't it be hilarious if Santa Claus appeared in a superhero movie? You know, like, you know, you got the Marvel movies and they're all after Thanos and all of a sudden I don't know where Santa Claus shows up and destroys them. But I'm sure someone is falling over right now. You know, and so, and so Santa Claus is part of our life. He's on our Christmas tree. He's in our home. We watch the movies. That's just how we clearly articulate to the kids. How, how we handle it. Now to close this out, I just want to do this this Christmas season. What is important to remember? What's important to remember about the Christmas season? And this is my favorite Christmas verse, even though it's not really technically associated with the birth story of Jesus. It's John chapter 1, and John, uh, 1 verse 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The most important thing to remember this time of year is that what we are marking by our celebrations is the fact that God became flesh and chose to live with us here so that we might choose him and live with him in eternity. And one of the greatest miracles of all time was the fact that the king of the universe took on human flesh, cried like a baby, had other people serve him in menial ways so that he could end up dying on our behalf so that eternity might be opened up for us. At the center of it all and all the, the glitz and glamour and the fun, and listen, we, we, we like to have a lot of fun in the Gwaltney household this time of year. That's what's most important. And that's what we should always bring our families, our hearts, our kids back to when we're discussing this season. And so, so yeah, so hey, listen, I hope you enjoyed that. Let me pray for us, and then I'll wrap up this edition of Harvest Talk. Lord God, I just thank you so much for the fact that you are God that became flesh and what you started on 
at the incarnation. And Lord, I just pray for this Christmas season as we navigate it uh, and, and celebrate it, Lord, that you would just remind us of that, that we would be overwhelmed and that the God of the universe would humble himself to be our friend. And that, Lord, that would, that would create new and lasting joy in our hearts. And so we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. And hey, listen, thanks again for listening to another edition of Harvest Talk. And until next time, keep reaching people and building their lives. Take care.